Good morning and a really warm welcome to Romford Baptist Church this morning. Well done to those who got to the building. It's good to see you and uh, getting through all the processes we still need to do. Let's pray for an end to this, eh? Let's pray for an end of the virus. Let's pray for some normality again where we can see each other in the way we would love to see each other again. Oh, please, Lord, it's been a long time. But it's great to see so many in the building, and it's great to greet you online, those of you who are watching from your homes. Thank you for being with us at RBC this morning. My name's Ian, I'm one of the ministers, and this morning I'll be leading the service, and Jan and other ministers will be bringing God's word later in the service. It's a busy day. We come out of busy lives. And maybe you have rushed to church this morning and you forgot to do something. Maybe you got cross with the children or the husband. The children might not have deserved it, but the husband probably did. (laughs) Maybe you have, something's gone wrong in your life this morning or this week and you're very anxious about it. Maybe you're thinking about all sorts of things. Well, now's the time to, in our minds, put it into God's hands and to focus on him. God who is bigger than our biggest problem. The God who is greater than our greatest needs. The psalmist says these words, I will praise you, Lord, with all my heart. And so this morning, I want to encourage you to praise God with all your heart. We may not be able to do it in the way we would normally choose to do with loud voices and that. Listen, we're planning a great sing-along when we can. But we can praise him with our whole selves. So whether you feel more comfortable to stand or sit as the music is playing, our first song, Lord of all creation, God of wonders, beyond the galaxy, the God who made this beautiful day, the God who gave us beautiful weather over the bank holiday in this week, that God is the one we've come to worship as through this first. May all the kings of the earth praise you, Lord, when they hear what you decree. May they sing of your ways, Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. Though the Lord is exalted, he looks kindly on the lonely. Though lofty, he sees them from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hands against the anger of my foes with your right hand to save me. The Lord will vindicate me. Your love, Lord, endures forever. You do not abandon the works of your hands. Let's raise an alleluia. And he is here with us. Let's come to him in prayer, Lord. We just thank you that you are alive. And that as we raise our hallelujah, we know you will win. You have the victory. Lord, we thank you that in the book of the Bible where we read, we have seen the final chapter. And it's not good news for Satan. But it's good news for us who believe in you. And we praise and thank you that we know that. 
And Lord, as we come to worship and adore you, as we come to refresh, put our trust in you, we thank you that you are here. But Lord, we long to see many more come to know you. We long to see our friends and our relatives, our children. We want to see those who we care about come to know you. And Lord, we want to see your church here in Romford reach the purposes for which we were called to make you known to all in need. And so, Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus that you will build your kingdom here and the enemy will flee. Build your kingdom here. This morning is from Acts chapter 9 and I hope somebody's going to come and read that for us now. Acts chapter 9. It's you, Ben, is it? That's great, because it's not what it said on my ear. <laughs> Arneas and Dorcas. As Peter travelled across about the country, he went to visit the saints in Lydda. There he found a man, a man named Arneas, a paralytic who had been bedridden for eight years. Arneas, Peter, said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and tidy up your mat. Immediately, Arnius got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which when translated is Dorcas, who was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in the upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all of the... Oh, sorry. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Thank you very much, Ben. Before our next, uh, or before Jan comes to preach, uh, we're going to have another song. Can I remind you, you need to keep your masks on and singing is not actually allowed at the moment. <laughs> you can mouth the words, but please don't sing out loud. It's against the government rules. But uh, we, our song that we're going to just listen to is that word, song, Speak, O Lord. And Louise Lynch and Teddy and Diddy who are working abroad. We've got Andy and Rihanna from here working abroad. We've got Church 123 up the road. Our missionaries who we send out, who we pray for, who we support. Maybe that's who you think of when you hear the word mission. Well, today we're going to be thinking of local and world mission, because the passage we read contains both things. Looking back 
over the past 12 months. I wonder what particular stories and things stick out in your mind as being inspirational. Would some of you think of Captain Tom, maybe? He was amazing, wasn't he? Before he hit 100, he wanted to walk his garden 100 times and raise a bit of money for the NHS. He went international, didn't he? He didn't raise a bit of money. He, last time I looked, it was over 33 million pounds that he raised for the NHS. He won our hearts as a nation, but he won the world's respect as a symbol of hope, of love, of inspiration. Or maybe pops to your mind is Mr. Joe Wicks, the man who was quicker than the educational bodies in providing daily fitness for our kids and for the parents if they chose to join him? Or is it the stories that we heard that came out of the NHS? Those amazing staff, from the cleaning staff to the secretarial staff to those who are hands-on as doctors and nurses, working in extreme conditions, smothered in PPE, caring for the most poorly people of our nation, many of whom didn't make it. They worked through their tears with no time to even deal with their own trauma of what they were living through. Stories of just this past year, inspirational people, some becoming super famous, but most people just simply getting on with their job whilst making a huge difference to the people's lives whom they touched. They all had their own missions over this past year. What about us? What presence do we leave behind us each day wherever we've been? Mission. The dictionary defines it as an important job, especially a military one, that sense of someone being sent somewhere to do, or else any work that someone believes is their duty to do, an important duty, a mission. When I think of mission, I often flick my mind over to the end of Matthew's Gospel where Jesus himself gives us the Great Commission, doesn't he? A message for each one, not just the chosen few, but to go into all the world, to share the good news, to make disciples, to see people baptised. If I was to ask you this morning what your job is, what your duty is, well, we'd all give different answers, wouldn't we? Completely different answers to each other. But what if I phrased it a little bit differently? What if I asked you, What is your God-given job? What's your God-given duty? What's your mission? I wonder, would you answer differently? Or do they link together? I think they link together because our mission fields are unique, aren't they? They'll include our families. They include our jobs, our volunteering, our church, our neighborhood. The fact is that any of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ should also be seeking, like we've sung through so many of the songs, to be giving our whole lives to him. We often sing, God, I surrender all. Our lives must be, should be, lived under his calling day by day. He has a plan and a path for each one of us. And part of that is our mission to serve him, to witness for him to live in praise of him, whatever our life circumstances. 
We should never walk out of church and metaphorically leave God behind in this place. Every single part of our lives should be lived for him and in him. Whether we're at the school gates, whether we're on the commute, whether you're sitting at your desk, whether that's at home or in an office, whether you're doing the chores or out shopping, God is with us. We mustn't compartmentalize our lives into a place where God doesn't fit into parts of them. God wants to be in all our parts, not just the religious parts. How will the world know unless our lights shine? Submission is for all of us. A couple of years ago, when I was young, I remember going to the World Baptist Youth Assembly in Glasgow. It really was quite a long while ago. I don't even want to count how many years ago it was. It's too many to count on my hands. But it was brilliant. There were 10,000 young people from around the world, and we came together to worship, and it was all about the lordship of God. And they talked again and again and again that if God is not lord of all, he is not lord at all. And it was a great message as a young person to hold on to that. But actually, I think our lives are a bit more complicated than that, aren't they? We're much more dynamic than that. It's true that God needs to be Lord over all our lives. But often, we find ourselves someday really motivated for God. We're right up there. We're excited. We spend time with him in worship and prayer. We seek opportunities to share his love. But then another day, it might just be as though our faith is a little bit on a back burner. It's still there. We haven't lost our faith in any way, shape, or form. It's bubbling away but it's not necessarily at the forefront of our thinking. It might not be right, but I think that's probably the reality that many of us end up living. Our aim, our drive, should be to keep bringing God back to the forefront. Do whatever it takes. Put stickers places. Put alarms on your phone. Put reminders when you open up your computer that you know, a little sticky note falls out. We need to keep pushing to put Christ at the front so that he is central, so we're ready to shine his light. And in the passage that Ben read for us today, you get the feeling that this lady, Tabitha, or Dorcas as she's known, was just such a person, someone who absolutely oozed God out of every part of her life. Tabitha, don't know if you've noticed, she was not a church leader, as far as we know. She was just a regular church member like most people here. She almost certainly had her own family, and therefore her role would have been very much in the home, caring for that family, completing the daily chores of getting water, doing the cleaning, caring for them. It would have been a busy life, a hard working life, lots of people relying on her to meet their needs. Tabitha, a regular, everyday person, just like us. But my goodness, What a woman. She didn't just give her life to her family. She didn't just live her life the best that she could. She didn't just input into her friends. No. Look at these few verses. Verse 36 says this. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. Always doing good and helping the poor. Imagine 
if at our funeral someone stood up and said that about me, oh, Jan was always doing good, she was always helping the poor, oh my goodness me, that'd make me proud, although I wouldn't be there to hear it. But wouldn't that be lovely if people think of you like that, they see you like that? And then verse 39 says this, Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood round him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. She'd made loads of things for the poorest of the poor, for people who had little. In those days, if you were a widow, you had very little means or opportunity to be able to provide for yourself. If the husband has passed away, the breadwinner has gone. Remember the story of Ruth and Naomi? They were absolutely destitute. They had nothing. And so Ruth went out to the fields to gather those tiny little bits of leftover seeds that had been left behind the people reaping. For widows left behind with children to care for, life was almost impossible. They couldn't make enough money to meet the needs of a family. Therefore, Widows were extremely poor in those days. They had really bleak prospects ahead of them. It seems from this story that we're reading today that Dorcas had made it a life mission to minister to these people, the poorest of the poor, to the destitute, to the widows, those who are in such need. What a mission. What an absolutely amazing use of her God-given opportunities. Her God-given talent, she made things for them. And now at the end of her life, these women who have received so much from her, they come to her in her final moments. You can kind of imagine them, can't they? Can't you come in to care for her? They really don't have anything really to offer. Maybe they bought tiny gifts of food that they'd made that might help her, or, or some fresh cold water knowing that this dear woman who they loved so much, who had loved them so much, was now in grave trouble and they've come to her to care for her, to love her back, to do anything that they could because she was so important to them. They loved her. But Dorcas is terribly ill and she passes away. The heartache, the, the questions, why God, why Dorcas? This lady is doing so much good. God, why would you take her? But there's still one thing the believers can do for her, and so they call for Peter. Peter, complete opposite to Tabitha, he's a missionary. He's out there doing it. We read that story first about Ananias who, um, Anais, who was healed from being unable to walk at all from birth. And Peter prayed for him and he got up. Peter is doing these amazing miracles. Peter, the one who perhaps we know the best as one of the disciples, the impulsive one, always jumping out of a boat somewhere or other, jumping out to walk on water to Jesus, who took his sword and cut off the ear of the soldier in the garden of Gethsemane, trying to protect Jesus. Peter, who jumped out of another boat after Jesus was resurrected to get to shore as quick as he could because Jesus was on the shore. And at that time, when Jesus brought him close and gave him the fresh start and told him that I'm giving you a new commission to feed my sheep, Peter. Peter, the one on whom Jesus would now build his church. He was an amazing man. 
He's utterly following God's call for his life, his personal mission. Peter traveling around telling everybody about Jesus, preaching his gospel wherever he goes, boldly proclaiming the saving power of the message. Peter, the leader. Peter, the missionary. Some of the believers go to Lydda and they request, sorry, rush from Lydda to Joppa to request Peter to come back with them, to come and see Dorcas because they think he still can help her. And he arrives and he's surrounded by all these widows telling him how amazing Tabitha was, showing him the shirts and the coats that, that she'd made for them. You can imagine the bustle and the hustle, everybody trying to push in. Peter, let me show you what she did. She's such a good woman. Peter, you've got to help us. Look at what she did. She means so much to me. So many people talking at once, giving a tiny glimpse of their own stories and the impact that Tabitha made on their lives, her kindness, her generosity, her faith, her love. I wonder what Peter's thoughts were at that moment certainly wouldn't have been part of his planned timetable, wouldn't have been jotted down that he's going to Lydda to raise Dorcas from the dead. It hadn't been on his daily list of chores for the day when he woke up. He barely had time to think about what was going on before he's whisked away by the believers to this lady's house. I wonder if he had time to pray on that short journey. Did he have time to send up a few arrow prayers as he was en route? Sometimes, I think it's easy to almost see the apostles in some strange light as people who were almost superhuman, who were somehow different to the rest of us. And I guess in some ways they were. They had lived with Jesus. They were his closest followers and his friends. They'd they'd received teaching directly from God himself through Jesus. They were first-hand witnesses to his miracles and his teaching. They'd literally seen, touched, and eaten with the risen Christ. However, throughout that journey, we also get glimpses of men and women who were just like us, normal people. People who were called into mission by God. Normal people who had normal jobs. They were fishermen. They were tax collectors. They were homemakers. They were wives. They were were just normal, everyday people but people who had lived with Jesus, who, like us, get so much wrong along the way. They got so much wrong, didn't they? They made mistakes. They struggled with their emotions. They struggled to understand and comprehend all that was going on and all what was happening. They were men and women like us. And so, returning to our story, here in Lydda, it's easy to assume that Peter gets called in and without a single qualm, he kneels down, prays, and of course, Dorcas is raised from the dead. But I wonder if that is really what happened. Or if actually, as Peter made everyone leave the room, it was actually needing a moment of quietness to himself before God. It's been a whirlwind for him. God what do you want? It's what I wonder if what Peter did as soon as that door was shut and it was quiet. He turned to God. God, what do you want to do here? I wonder, did he ever have any moment of doubt of what God might want to do? Did he feel pressurized by the expectations of everybody outside that door on him? 
But Peter was called by Jesus to follow him. Peter the fisherman, living an ordinary life just like any one of us, but with the calling of God on him, just like us. We have the calling of God on us too. And Peter knew that he was one that God wanted to build his church on. But he was just human. And that's it, isn't it? Peter, the fisherman turned missionary, an ordinary guy serving an extraordinary God, fulfilling the mission that God had sent him on. Tabitha, an ordinary lady, making an extraordinary difference in the lives of the poorest of the poor, fulfilling the mission that God had set out on her. Whose names could we add? Maybe Alison, the teacher, turned meeting place leader, an ordinary Hornchurch girl. Please forgive me for that, Alison. Fulfilling the mission that God has set out for her. Andy, the Romford boy made good, who's headed out with Rihanna, his wife, to Moldova to serve God, living out the mission that God has called him to. Bree, our friendly South African, working in the doctor's surgery, fulfilling the mission to which God has given her. Add your known name in. Ben, Ian, add your name in. Add your role, your life. Realize that God wants to use you. He has a calling over your life. He wants to use you to touch and to bless and to share his good news. And with those whose lives you cross over with, the challenge for all of us, myself, Ian, Vicky included, is to stop long enough to listen, to hear God's voice, to listen to his call, to know that today, You and I can serve this mission that God has called you to, that God has called me to. You're unique. No one has the same path as you. It's up to you. It's your mission to fulfill. Will you fulfill it? It doesn't depend on age. You aren't too young. You're not too old. You're not too busy. You're not too poor. God has a plan and a purpose for you, a mission for you to fulfill, whether you're a Peter and become a missionary or whether you're a Tabitha and you're home and you're on your mission for God there. Peter and Tabitha, two people on a mission, their own missions given to them by God, equally important, God-given, a calling which they heard and obediently obeyed, just like us. As I was writing this sermon, I had a couple of workmen digging up our drive. And as I made them coffee with six sugars, which I was assured had been reduced from 12 sugars the week before, so I got talking to them. And so began my mission, I believe, for that day. A chance to listen to an incredibly hard story of one of the brothers. He had his first child when he was 13. He stayed with that same girl for the next 20 years. When they were 16, they had another baby and spent the next nine months in hospital with her until, sadly, they lost her. His life was now crashing around him with a stay in a psychiatric ward, serving time in prison due to mental health crisis. His girlfriend of 20 years had left him and his physical health was collapsing. 
What could I do? There wasn't much I could do, but I prayed that God would make me a blessing to him that day. As a listening ear, I could show empathy. I prayed and prayed for him as he worked outside that somehow he might get a sense of God's love for him as we talked, and I've continued to pray for him since. My mission that day wasn't standing here preaching, but being God's aroma in the conversations with the people whom I met that day. My mission that day later was to be a loving mum to my daughter as she faced the dreaded blood test that she can't bear. It was praying for her and asking that God would give her peace and courage. Our mission fields will look completely different to the person sitting next to you. But in every part of our lives, we can be the Tabithas, we can be the Peters, and each of us can truly make a difference simply by allowing the power of God to move through us, to touch the lives of those around us through the Holy Spirit living in us. We're about to come to communion. Time to stop, a time to remember the phenomenal sacrifice of our Savior, the one who has called us to serve him and tell of this good news. And so during the time of communion, I want to invite you to spend some time just reflecting on the mission that God has got for you. To allow yourself to be drawn into the arms of our Heavenly Father, to be washed clean by the blood of Jesus, to allow his spirit to fill every part so that is Lord of all as we walk out of here, and to know that each one of us have been called by God for a mission that he's got for you. He has a purpose. He has a plan. So let's stand together and worship through this next song as we prepare for communion. I invite you to stand. Well, if we were online, I would be waving at this point, but clearly we're not able to be online today. But I am going to do two things right now. Firstly, I'm going to wish Bren, I can't tell, there she is at the, right at the back. It's her 70th birthday today. So congratulations to Bren. And then secondly, I'm going to be slightly rude to all of you because I'm going to face Hayley, who is holding a camera. Because, because we can't be online, we have two people at home who aren't able to view what was due to take place this morning. So by the wonders of other technology, Linda and Ken, I know you can't reply to me, but you are there, I am assured. And we wanted to wish you all the very best for your golden wedding anniversary, which is on Saturday. We will be dropping this around to you later to wish you all the very best. I know you're away next weekend, but we wanted to assure you of our love and our best wishes, and we're going to just pray for you right now. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for this couple, for all that you have meant to them over their whole lives and through their married lives, but also, Lord, how much they mean to you. Father God, we thank you for them. We thank you for all that they have offered in the past and for all the ways that you will continue to bless them in the days coming forward. Lord, particularly we pray that you will be close to them this week 
in all that they have to do and as they celebrate next weekend. Bless them, Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Vicky. Just remembering people's birthdays, anniversaries, and all that goes on, reminds us of the rhythm of life. But in this communion, we are also remembering what Christ has done for us. And this is as much a celebration as our birthdays, our wedding anniversaries, and all that goes on. It's a celebration of something that happened over 2,000 years ago, but gives us new life and hope. And as we take this bread in not our familiar ways, the rules all say we have to do it slightly different. But let that, don't let that rob you of the experience of being close to God through bread and wine. In bread and wine, we experience and we remember a victory beyond all victories. God who became a human being and dwelt among us, who had the victory on the cross that defeated death. Rodney's going to lead us in a prayer of thanksgiving. Thank you, Rodney. I want, um, before I take my mask off, just for you to visualise, there's a programme called The Mask Singer and The Mask Dancer. And you don't know who they are until they take their masks off. And it's very appropriate as I take my masks off and as we say thank you to God for all that he's done in our communion, that we lay ourselves open and say, God, here I am. This is me. This is the real me. Another vision I had this week, I bought some marigolds, but they weren't your traditional marigolds. They had wilted because B&Q hadn't watered them, but they were at a bargain rate and I thought I couldn't miss a bargain. So I took them home after speaking to these sales advisors, assured me that if I watered these um, marigolds, they would resurrect themselves and be new. And I want that vision just to be there, having taken our masks off and actually taking this communion that we've got before us, actually refreshing us and renewing us with God. So with that in mind, let us pray. Lord, we want to thank you and celebrate all you undertook on our behalf when you suffered and died a cruel death on the cross completely without sin, full of God's love for his creation, so that we may have external life with God our Father. We want to thank you that we are reminded in taking and sharing in this bread and this wine that you are alive today and that we are one body and that with Jesus he is with us every moment of our earthly lives and that he calls us all to proclaim that wonderful word to go out into the world and serve and to spread the message of the good news of Jesus. And Lord, we thank you 
that you gave us the footsteps in the sand poem. We thank you that you are there for the joys and for the sorrows, the best and worst of times, for the tears that flow in secret in the broken times, for the moments of elation or the troubled mind, for all the disappointments or the string of old regrets, all our prayers and longings that seem unanswered yet. But Lord, we thank you that you are a faithful God and we thank you for this communion service that we'll be sharing um, shortly. Thank you, Lord. For this, we have Jesus. For this, we have Jesus. For this, we have Jesus. We have Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Rodney. And so the words we are familiar with, and we've heard them many, many times. But don't let the familiar words lose their feelings. How many of us now, when we're watching the news and we get that section that comes out every day with numbers, numbers who've been vaccinated, numbers who've new infections, and I don't know about you, I find myself turning off because, oh, I heard this yesterday, and the numbers just don't compute in any way. Sometimes we can do that with familiar words of God, but this message is such an important message that we mustn't let its familiarity take away the depth of its meaning. Paul, writing to the Corinthian church, says these words, For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you Drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. will have been issued gloves which they are wearing. And when they come round with the bread, instead of you taking the bread off the cup, if you could hold your hand out, they will drop a piece of bread into your hand. In the same way, when they come round with the cup, they will place the cup in your hand using their gloved hands. The stewards will wait upon us as the bread comes round. blood of Christ shed for us. Amen.
Lord, we thank you for feeding us with this bread and wine, these symbols of your love for us. And Lord, as we heard in Jan's sermon, as we go out to make you known, may we go with boldness, knowing afresh that you are with us in these symbols. We continue with our prayers of intercession as John comes to lead us, including praying for Barbara Khan, whose brother passed away yesterday. We continue in prayer. Father, we thank you for this, our church family. We thank you for all of those you drew before us to enable us to be here today. And we thank you for our fellowship. Thank you for those you've called into leadership in this place. We thank you for Ian and Vicky, for Jan and Hannah, for Jiddy. And we pray particularly as they seek to serve you in guiding us in our spiritual walk, that you will give them the energies that they need, enough moments of joy to inspire and enthuse them, and a very real sense of your protection and wisdom when there are moments of challenge that arise that might discourage. We thank you also for the many others who bless us, either working here or up in Parkside on a daily basis. Bless each one, we pray. And we pray for our deacons' election, that you would speak to us to know who to ask, and for those who may need the discernment and courage to go forward under your leading. We pray for our young, all those who are currently in education. Father, we pray that you would protect them from any anxieties, that they would be content and happy with who they are. Enable them, Lord, we pray, to rise to the challenges that life brings. And again, Father, we ask that you would put joy in their hearts. Help them to find a path close to you, confident in the knowledge of your loving care. And Father, we lift those who especially need your loving touch or healing. We pray for Lillian Wingate, Don and Daphne May, Brian Sharp, Mel Pigeon's dad, Eddie, Joyce Burgess, Maureen Smith, Pauline Yates, Ruth Nichols, Evelyn Brown, Victoria Ursash, Susan Beerman's uh, father, Utina Ramnan and for Sue Sharp's sister and Iris Oliver. Father, for those who are grieving lost ones, particularly Julia Makaki and Nikki Blackburn, and we remember also right now Barbara Khan. Just remember each one of them and their families following their loss. Lord, for any who are troubled either in body or spirit, we lift them into your loving arms. May your peace abide with them and may your presence assure them day by day. And Father, we rejoice in the gift of new life and so we celebrate with Ian and Hilary on the birth of their grandson, Jesse Eli. Father, we lift before you those who work overseas and uh, who spread your word and are linked to us by our support and prayers. 
Bless each one of them, we pray, with your encouragement and clarity as they seek ways to extend your kingdom. And Father, as we look to ourselves and, and our personal needs, we ask that you would fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit, that you would help us to share our knowledge and our love of you with our families and all those whom we come in contact with. Watch over us, we pray. For we ask all these things in the name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus. Amen. John for leading us in our prayers. As we come to a conclusion of our service, in a moment we're going to have a last song to worship with. But uh, before I do that, can I just remind you, as Haley said in the notices, we're coming to that time of year when we're looking for nominations for the leadership team for deacons. Can I ask you to prayerfully consider that? I think it's next week is the final date, but maybe you will just think and pray about who God's leading to serve this church as one of the leaders in the next, for the next three years, because each deacon is nominated or elected for three years, as we head towards our church AGM towards the end of the month. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all, Yet what does that love do? He pours his love upon us. And he equips us with his presence. Go in the presence of God to serve him, to make him known. And may the blessing of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with each one of us this day and forevermore. Amen. <laughs>